0: This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit
1: cambridgeassessment.org.uk. In
2: this session, we're going to explore what can actually be done now with technology. And we'll have the opportunity to view firsthand some of the latest technologies demonstrated by four leading organisations. We're going to start with the Cambridge GCSE Computing Online. This MOOC was created by the partnership of the exam board OCR... Cambridge University Press, and the Raspberry Pi Foundation. It will be introduced today by Clive Beale, Director of Educational Development at Raspberry Pi, uh, and then Christine Swan, Director of ICT and Enterprise at the Starport High School and Sixth Form Centre. Clive. Thanks.
3: Okay, so I I basically run the education stuff at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. We are not a hardware company, although we have sold lots of these little things we set up as an educational charity and our brief and our drive and our passion is about using technology and computing to to be creative and to get people thinking and problem solving and basically to get people back into computing which in this country we have neglected for quite a long time. You've all seen the press and you, you know the stories behind it. So we invented this little thing it's the Raspberry Pi, it's a, a low cost computer. You plug it into a monitor and You pop in an SD card and you've got yourself a fully working Linux computer. I'm not going to dwell too much on this because we're we're here to look at how teachers can actually use the cloud and how we can be involved in in teaching um, in the 21st century, but we... we, um, so I've got, um, so got to talk a bit about remoteness, and one thing that we've been sort of looking at and working with is plugging in big old hard drive into this, um, stick a little Wi-Fi dongle in it, and you can pop that anywhere where there isn't uh, broadband access in rural areas, and um, you can access things such as um, Khan Academy, Wikipedia, um, all of these things. So you can actually access big information sources, online courses like the MOOC, um, and you don't need the internet. So that's the Raspberry Pi. So. All of, all of this, I mean, we've just had some fantastic stuff, some really, really inspiring stuff. I'm an ex-teacher. Uh, I taught for 10 years, and the first thing I always think when, I, when I, I, I hear educational theory is how does it affect me in the classroom? How can I get involved, and what can I actually do in practice on a day-to-day basis? So... <clears throat> I've got a few. I had a few little ideas of, of how you can actually do stuff now. Okay, if you don't have access to a soul learning space, if you don't have access to the latest technology, as a teacher, as a school, how can you actually start to improve and enhance learning um, using technology? Uh, <clears throat> we got involved with OCR um, quite a long time back, and they, they saw the potential of the Raspberry Pi for teaching and, and, and learning, um, and there's stuff online, and we've developed resources with them. The first thing. You can do it. It sounds really obvious. It's just stick stuff in the cloud. So this is Carrie-Anne Philbin's site. She works for us now. She's just finished teaching. Um, it doesn't have to be... It doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be all singing all dancing. You stick stuff on on on... on Online, you put stuff in the cloud. She set up Google Documents for all her students. She didn't have to go through the technicians, didn't have to get permissions, didn't have to do all these things. Just get stuck in and do it. And so, stuff in the cloud, you can submit your work, you can uh, mark the work, and get get it back. And it can be as simple as that. Okay, you, you're now working in the cloud. My one of my big beasts at the moment is is learning spaces and teaching spaces. And this, it, it, these to me are. These are teaching spaces, okay? This is a really, really standard ICT setup in UK schools today. And um, you see this model everywhere U shapes full of IC, uh, uh, ICT um, kits. And that's fine if you want to teach, but actually, what I would like to see more of, and in fact, I suggest if you're a teacher or, or senior management, you go to your head and you demand to have what I think of as learning spaces. Um, and again, back to this sort of constructivism and groups learning together and, 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 and doing stuff and peer support. Um, this is where learning happens, okay? So a bunch of stuff in the centre of the table. Absolute minimum for me in a, in a modern classroom, especially when you're doing computing or something practical and creative, is to have a space where you can get together, you can break out and you can get away from this sort of structured environment. And I think that's critical. I, I, it's, it sounds quite trivial because it's, it's a practical issue. But... Um, I think it's something that's very important. And the other thing is access to resources and online resources. So we've got the MOOC. I spoke to someone at BET. A came up and said, it's fantastic, this. So I let the kids go on it, and they work at their own pace, and they pause it, and they rewind. I've been giving it as homework. I've been doing the flipped classroom. So we've got to give people world-class resources and give them access to that uh, through the Internet. That can be the MOOC. It can be YouTube. Um, I've got my own sort of personal... Hole in the wall story um, that sort of links into YouTube. And about two years ago, I gave my six-year-old son um, a Raspberry Pi, and it's got Scratch on it, which is a a language for the young kids to get into programming. And he really wasn't interested, and uh, I was a bit disappointed. And I came back about six months later, and he'd made this fantastic game in Scratch. And I was just amazed. It was quite a cool game. And I said, well, how did you actually learn to do this? And what, what had happened, he'd been going to his granny's, every Wednesday after school and because she didn't get it, she just let him go onto YouTube he'd be going to YouTube and and looking at scratch videos, he'd taught himself, he'd come back he'd made the game, and so although it's not a cloud granny, it's the same principle (laughs) (coughs) and what was was even more shocking, and I said to him what what do you actually like about this, and he said Dad, I can think about thinking and I just thought, a six year old's talking about metacognition (laughs) he's been possessed quite powerful stuff and also the tools. This, this to us is a, is a toolkit for thinking and playing and hacking and creating. And it really is, really is an undervalued um, thing, especially in computing. We've got to be able to play. We've got to be able to mess about. Here's, here's Minecraft. You can tweet. You can put messages into Minecraft. Connection between the, the, the cloud. Connection between the real world and the virtual world. Very, very powerful stuff. And when you start to give people tools and resources, they start to do very cool and profound things. This is a 13-year-old who's um, sent a a pie up into space. He's got marshmallows, and he wanted to see if they expanded as um, it went up. Um, What I love about this, he's got a grape in there as a control. He's got a grape as a control. And the marshmallows expanded and he drew a graph, and it's fantastic science. But it goes beyond that, it's got to be cross curricular. Um, people doing musical stuff, beatboxes, playing tunes on beats, weirdly enough, um, all sorts of music technology. This is Zoe, our artist in residence, Rachel Rains, has made this device for feeding plants um, um, based on the Raspberry Pi. Um, and the plants tweet. And when they get a bit dry and they're not fed very well, they start to tweet on happy thoughts. <laughs> and when they get fed and they're very happy, they love their, they love their owner and they start to tweet um, happy thoughts. And again, this connection is a really, really powerful thing and a powerful hook for young people. Um, art, uh, massively um, you know, linked into computing and creativity. Down at the bottom, you can, you can tweet and change. Um, this is down in the Docklands. Um, it's called Discovery and Persistence of Vision stuff. And this one I sort of end with because it's it's um, you get you start off on this little journey, um, and you end up somewhere like this, which is sending Babbage into space. He's, he's our mascot, Babbage, and um, he's jumping off the, he's jumping up he's jumping off a balloon about forty kilometres up. I think it's about thirty metres higher than um, Felix Baumgartner's record, and he jumped off and parachuted safely to earth. And and that was because um, this happens when you give people the tools and the resources and the kit and the and space to play and experiment and get together and create things. Thank you.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Christine Swan, and I'll just forward... that. Okay. And I'm sorry about my title. Apparently, I'm Director of ICT and Enterprise, but what I actually teach is computing. Um... I thought I'd start by telling you a little bit about my history. I always wanted to act, but my parents did not approve at all um, and told me to go and get a real career, so I went into teaching. A few months ago, I was asked by Cambridge Assessment if I would be involved in the MOOC project. I was absolutely delighted. Come down to London, make some videos, write the the scripts be involved in the editing. Wonderful. This is my Oscar moment, so, so please excuse me while I just enjoy that. I may be an endangered species if you think about some of the things that have been said this morning. I'm a teacher. Let's just reflect on what that actually involves. Every day I get the chance to change somebody's life, hopefully for the better. I'm training them for careers that don't even exist yet. I've got to predict what skills they might need. I can give them some skills, they can go home, they can sit in their bedroom, they can practice those skills, they can create an app and make their first million. I was involved in that. That feels good. Feels very good. So that's why I do the job that I do. So I am a teacher and I'm very proud of that fact. So let's talk about the subject. Um, first of all, let's focus on what I actually do in the classroom. Uh, some of these photos were taken last year, and some of them were taken just last week. Okay, so there, there's no, um, there's no sort of trickery here. Um, these are some students on a GCSE course. They've learned how to program. And we made a robot, made a robot out of Raspberry Pi and an interface board called the PiFace Digital, which is very simple to use with Scratch programming language. So the students have written a program and they're controlling the robots. As you can see, the environment's not great because we couldn't put the robot on the floor and the desks are too narrow, so they had to actually hold it up to stop it from running off the desk. And that was made out of just Lego bits and bobs out of my kid's toy box. I didn't spend very much money on that at all. But it was a brilliant activity. There's the robot. It's also featured in a German newspaper, believe it or not. Um, here are some of my students. Uh, this is my after-school club, and they're actually programming Minecraft. They're creating worlds, but they're actually playing it on a network, um, which you can't actually see, but I've, I've got a picture of that a bit further on. Uh, so they learn how to set up a network. Um, they network their Raspberry Pis. Uh, they then write a program in Minecraft to create a world, and then someone else can come and play in their world. And it's pretty cool, and they love it. We're also playing around with Makey Makey. Uh, This was a controller made by one of my students just by drawing pencil lines on a piece of paper. And it works. And you can control a simple program written in Scratch using that. So, again, pretty cool stuff. Um, This student's written a program and... They didn't really have a purpose, except just it's aesthetic, it's pretty. Um, When you click the mouse, it will draw a random pattern of concentric rings, change the colour and make sounds. And other than to entertain, it doesn't really do anything, but she just decided that's what she wanted to make, so she made it. She's one of my GCSE students. This is one of our network. We were fortunate that I was given quite a lot of Cisco kit. I'm an ex-Cisco student. I'm a CCNA graduate. Um, so I've got a lot of bits and pieces of kit. So we put it together. We, we make temporary networks. And it's absolutely great for students as a learning experience. We went to the National Museum of Computing as well. One of my students managed to control single-handedly the oldest working computer in the UK. And again, I think that's a really cool experience. So I just want to come, return back to um, the teaching side of what I do. We have a bring your own device policy at school. Students are encouraged to use their smartphones, uh, bring their tablets into school. So we're very, very into connected learning and everybody getting involved. It's a, it's a pity that at the moment, I can't actually assess them using those skills. And that's a big issue, I think, something we need to address. How are we going to assess students being able to work together and using new technology? And another issue that I want to highlight to you is that a lot of our students come from backgrounds where they don't have access to technology at home. They may be information rich, but they're technology poor. When they go home, they don't have access to the internet, and they may not have a device that they can use. I think this is a real issue. I'm talking about our pupil premium students, and I really would like to see something done to help students access technology when they go home so they can carry on their independent learning. It's something that we would encourage. One of the saddest things I've ever seen is students um, at the end of lunchtime waiting to see if there's any spare food left in the canteen. This is 2014. This is happening in schools now. We've got to put that right. Thank you.
2: now we've got time just enough time for one question if anybody wants to ask anything this is at this stage this is is there anything in that that you didn't understand or you just wanted it extended um, or a little more a little more detail so we'll the first hand up gets the cheese
1: Hello. Hello, I'm Valerie Thompson from the Learning Foundation. I completely agree with you about the access issue, Thank and you. I would encourage any school here today or any school watching this uh, this conference to sign up for the Mind the Gap campaign, which um, Lord Putnam launched three weeks ago. We now have a hundred schools registered for it, and the idea is that each of those five hundred thousand children who are not online at home are got online within the next two years. And it's up to mm-hmm. us to do it.
0: Thank
2: you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm now going to call on Mike Feerick, who is the chief executive of ALISON, otherwise known as Advanced Learning Interactive Systems Online. This is a global social enterprise providing essential certified education and workplace training skills free to any individual anywhere over the web. Uh, And it is growing at an enormous rate, which I'm sure he's going to tell us about. Mike. Okay, thanks Bennett. So uh, yes, Mike Ferrick is my name, CEO,
4: founder of Allison. Delighted to be here and thank you for, to Cambridge Assessment for inviting me. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit of, about Allison just to introduce Allison to those of you that don't don't know about it. A little bit about how it works, the innovation that we're using relative, related to today, and then just some general thoughts of my own. I guess one thought just from the earlier session is just what Sigat is saying. There's a lot of good ideas there. As a business head and someone who's socially motivated, I, I guess I thought for seven, eight years ago, how do I set wings to this? There's great ideas here, but how do you put a business model behind it so that it's sustainable? So that's why I see my part and my role in in, in this global revolution. So to to begin with, um, just a couple of ideas. Let's see there. Yeah. So a couple of ideas just about Allison. Allison is often called a MOOC. It was founded in 2007, which is a year before the, the word MOOC was ever used. But is it a MOOC? Yes, I guess it is. It's massive. It's online. Um, it's uh, open in the sense that it's free to use, and there's courseware on it. But it's a little different from the conventional MOOCs in the sense that everything on Allison is self-paced. Um, also, it, we have a free learning and certification model because that's important. Certification can be very expensive around the world. We're a social enterprise, so we're, we are a for profit company, but we genuinely are trying to fu- use technology to make it free. And um, the other thing is that we're actually profitable, which I shouldn't be saying too loudly, but the reason I'm saying it is that we're sustainable, we're growing, and the likes of Allison is going to be here, so it's a fact of life. So just keep keeping going, so just give you a bit of text, uh, I'm delighted to say last week we passed 3 million registered learners worldwide. We would be the second biggest <coughs> MOOC worldwide, I think, after... Sarah but certainly the largest outside of America we're signing up about 200,000 people a month and we have 350,000 graduates worldwide we've about half a million people here in the UK and we consider the UK as our home market we're based in the west of Ireland but um and we've over 500,000 people in Africa now which I think makes us the largest online learning provider there so um who, who studies on Alison? Well, it's young and old. It's just people who have access to education for free for the first time. As a lot of you are familiar, even in a lot of very remote places in the world, people are getting access to the web via uh, wireless in particular. So there's people from every country in the world uh, graduating on Alison we're not just in English, we have Arabic partners and we're we're moving into a lot of different languages. So it's all over the world. Uh, what do you study on Alison? So we're not a typical MOOC in the sense of we're uh, high, uh, higher education. We're focused on the workplace. So how I describe it is we're basic education and workplace skills. So you can study, there's eight categories, business, health, personal development, languages, financial, health literacy, digital, and then school curriculum. And school curriculum is really, really important in the workforce because two-thirds of the, of the world's workforce do not have a secondary school education. So you have to dip down, particularly into STEM subjects, to educate people. So how does Alison work? Well, it's quite simple. If Those of you that are familiar with it, this is just a course that's online at the moment. It's how to create a website in 20 to 21 days. So it's just an image there. You can see the course here surrounded by blue, and we surround it by advertising. Advertising is not just the only platform. Business model that we have, but it is important to us and it's mostly education, uh, uh, advertising. So you can see the advertising around it and up there you can see how you can navigate around. The important, uh, one of the important elements of this is that it's, uh, we share the revenue with whoever owns that course. So if you produce a good course and it's popular, you will make money by putting it on Allison for free. It's an interesting model. So. How do you, uh, we do much more than just putting content up online and allowing people to access it. We add structure and quality to it. And uh, YouTube is probably the biggest provider of learning worldwide. Uh, but if you go on there, you're not too sure who the publisher is. You, you're not too sure about the tracking, the standard length. It's all over the place. The quality. What level is it at? Is that level 101? Is it le- level 105? That is uh, an issue in, trying to, in a learning environment. So... What Alison brings to that is, we do not produce anything near the number of courses or videos that uh, uh, YouTube does, but we add structure. You will know who the publisher is. All of the content is tracked. If you leave it and come back, you can t- continue from where you, you you left off. There's a standard length. Um, the quality is very very is reviewed. We're very we're, we think we're quite innovative in how we make the content available, but we're quite conservative in terms of the quality, of the content. We have people with master's degrees in pedag- pedagogy who go through these courses, and then the standard level we will tell you where it's at. So the free learning, we call, I call it a free learning ecology on Allison. So you go on, you do your learning, self-paced. Then you do assessments. If you pass the assessment at 80%, you become an Allison graduate. The, the challenge about being an Allison graduate is that you can be challenged at any time, anywhere, to sit that test again. And the means of doing that are now possible because the internet is everywhere. And it goes back to the connectivity that Sugata talked about. The internet is everywhere. Because you can connect, it means that you can connect to a bank of questions on nearly any subject, anywhere, at any time. And you can do it on a laptop, you can do it on an iPhone. So it's quite a phenomenal um, opportunity in, in bringing testing. So if somebody tells you anywhere that they are good at something, you can test them saying, okay. They tell you that they're a chemical engineer. They tell you that, you know, that they, do, they know dr- basic drama. Anything. All you need is the bank of assessments. And that's what companies like Allison are building. So, just a simple question for you. When hiring, what does an employer want to know? Do they want to know that you passed a test once upon a time? I call it the Walt Disney certification model. <laughs> you know... We all do this. We're all part of it. We all did degrees. How much of, how much of, of, the, uh, how much of these degrees do we really now, know now? An employer wants to know what you, want to, what you know on Monday morning when you start a job. And the fact that if someone comes in with an Allison certification on any subject, they can sit you down and test you. Just like years ago, if you said that you could type at 50 words per minute, they could sit you down and see there and then whether you had that standard. It's very simple. The power of it is that it's free. So what is Alison? Well, it's less of this, the traditional classroom, and it's much more like that in terms of a trading room because analytics is our lifeblood. If somebody's studying a course in Nigeria, we want to see if they didn't go past module four, why? Why is there a, a crash of people leaving the course at a certain sp- a place in terms of you know who is studying, where they're studying, what they're studying, what's the follow-on rates? It's analytics out your ears. There's more people doing analytics at Alison than, almost than the content team. So it's, but it's all using the capability of today to make education free. And a couple of, you know, elephants in the room. Once you create digital content, the cost of sharing it is zero. High quality content will be available on every subject within the primary school and secondary school, really, really quickly, because it's all can be commoditized. That does not say the teacher is going to be disappear, disappear, but the content is going to be commoditized. And what you're going to see out of uh, organizations like Allison is not just dealing with education But providing, say, free aptitude tests Which we did last month Bringing students at a very early age All the way through to the recruitment process Dipping down into secondary school Because that's going to happen So I just want to show you a little bit of judo here um, just, uh, This is something that we're doing with Macmillan With maths doctors And it's um, uh, It's just taking maths Maths videos and aligning them with the irish standard so let's hopefully this works okay come on oh this worked in a demo and five minutes ago can someone help me in audio there taking over yeah.
5: going to take this result
4: now that we've just got and we're going to transfer it to this diagram and it means that that this this lint here the lint ag over ab is equal to the lint ah over ac
0: for each of these three methods we will need a solution as if this was a quadratic equation so for here x is equal to minus two or x is equal to plus four
3: And you can simplify this if you like, or you can just put it straight into your calculator, but you're going to get something that looks like this.
4: Okay. So we've done that for... The uh, Irish certificate. But what I really want to tell you is that it took 350 videos of teachers to completely align it to the Irish standard. It will take another 40 to align it to the UK standard. It will take another 25 for the US, and then you get to Australia another 5, another 1 for the Nigerian standard. And We can roll out a completely aligned maths, t- maths curriculum in English for every country worldwide, and we can do that in a week. And you can do that for nearly every subject. And it's not to say that video learning is going to completely teach people in, in, in maths but it just shows you what power is there and what can be used. Just, um, when we started doing these, we, we were doing maths videos on velocity, and we were just saying about how, how quickly raindrops fall, and then we are just talking about snowballs and, one, one, and how quickly they can be thrown. And, and the maths teacher said, but you're starting to do my job. Yeah, we, yes, we are. But that does not mean that the teacher d- disappears. The teacher can teach better. He can teach more people. He can bring them further. Then simple stuff. You can commoditize it and make it more approachable. I'm a Liverpool fan. How quickly does Suarez normally kick a ball at goal? You can do that for Chelsea, Tottenham. All of this stuff can be created really quickly, put on the web for free. Make it a lot more interesting. And then, if you get, you, we, you can, we have a bank of teachers that are willing to help you for free. But then free is an interesting thing. There's only so many people, there's only so many grannies in the world that will actually uh, help you. So if you run a, a ground on too many grannies, you can actually pay for help. And usually the costs are much less than, than traditional grinds. So... I j- That's just showing a bit about Alison. I just want to get you to think a little bit different about innovation. Innovation, there's there's a flood of innovation happening in in online education. But it's like almost the rainwater in in the UK and Ireland these days. It's that the floods don't come in tidily in the front door. They come up, the floods come up through the the, the floorboards. They come in in every way. So this innovation is affecting us in a lot of different ways. And hopefully, I just want to talk about some unexpected ways. First thing is parents. All over the world... Mothers are not having six children anymore. Nearly every country has gone down to two children. So the the whole idea of the Chinese mother is actually going to become far, far more common because they're not putting their bets on six kids and a few of them surviving to help them in old age. They're betting putting all their eggs in one basket. They they are far more determined that their kids are going to be successful. Also, kids need to be more competitive today. A degree is not what it used to be. A degree does not give you uh, the, the, the access to success as it used to. Kids need to be more educated, so more attention is going to be into pa- parents are going to be putting more attention into kids, and they 're going to start getting more in control of their education and they 're not going to leave it to education systems. The second thing is workforce we 're de- working with a number of international organizations that are starting courses that are aimed at secondary school because they 're very specific because there 's a huge shortage of engineers worldwide you 're going to see the workforce and industry dipping down. Providing training opportunity to young students. The challenge to secondary schools and our very best secondary schools is are they going to be able to keep our very brightest kids in school at 16, 17, 18? Because industry is going to start dipping down into them and they may not be going to college. They may just start in industry. The other thing is just society generally. We talk about, we live in a world where we're we're very privileged. But we're in the US and the UK is still only four percent of the world's population. There's a lot of people that uh the education system is just too slow, it's too inefficient, it's too expensive. So what's happening is that society will not wait to train people in the traditional way. It talks about sagata talked about the lack of good teachers. There's alternatives and they're going to be picked up. And one of the interesting facts is that the people that are involved in education in the UK today, whether it's government or the Department of Education or teachers or teachers' unions, they're going to become increasingly irrelevant to the education of young people in the UK because the international dimension is going to be bigger and bigger. So I just one final slide on this. It's just as much as there's a lot of innovation happening out there, there's a lot of decay going in internally. This is just one example I came across recently, and it was a project management student in Alison that brought it, brought it to my attention. This is a top 200 university uh, lo- located worldwide, and they were just showing their marks in their degree for project management. And 76% achieved a 2.1 and greater. Now I don't know if whether how many people here graduated with a first or a two one, but a two one used to mean something. But when 76% in a top 200 universities actually graduating with a two one, it just makes a laugh about it. So grade inflation. There's a lot of decay in the system itself. So finally, yes, are there going? To, you know, is it um, our teachers going to be coming under more pressure? Um, is learning going to happen without teachers? Could it happen? Yes, of course it is happening. But I would argue that there, that's the, that you have to do a yes or no question uh, answer to it. But really, a lot, of the, a lot of the learning is repetitive that we're doing in secondary schools. It's very easy to commoditize it, and a lot of it's going to go online. It's going to be a very comf- uh, c- competitive environment. Okay, So I'm pretty much out of time. I have lots of ideas on the future of schools and universities worldwide. I hope I've said enough that gets you thinking. Thank you very much.
2: And I'm I'm sure we're going to come back to much of that uh, uh, when we get to the uh, discussion section. Um, Now I want to move us on to FutureLearn, uh, which is a private company wholly owned by the Open open University. It offers a diverse selection of free, high-quality online courses from some of the world's leading universities and other outstanding cultural institutions. It will be introduced today by Russell Beale, Professor of Human-Computer Interaction, which is a great title, uh, from the University of Birmingham. Russell, thank you very much.
5: Uh, well, thank you very much for, for the invite. Um, I, I'm glad you like my title. Um, my my title. I also work at FutureLearn. My title at FutureLearn is the even better critical friend, which means that I'm supposed to sit in meetings saying I agree with you, but have you thought about this? Which is a very nice position for, for me to be in. But I want ready to tell you today um, about FutureLearn. Uh, we're we're a new MOOC provider. Um, based in the UK. And the great thing is that future learners have the opportunity to look at MOOCs, to see what people are doing, and then to try and reimagine what we ought to do given today's connected world. And I'm really just going to take uh, you through what that sort of thing. So what, what is a MOOC? MOOCs are massive open online courses, anything from a few students to hundreds of thousands of students. Um, they're open to anybody uh, they normally require you to put in a few hours a week uh, to study over a period of, uh, of a few weeks. That they vary, The models vary depending on the courses and the providers and so on. Um, but particularly for FutureLearn, we also think that you don't just want to sit there and watch videos and read stuff. You actually want to start interacting with people. That's what we do online most of the time anyway. So what is FutureLearn? FutureLearn is founded by the Open University, which has been doing distance learning for an awfully long time. Um, We've got 29 world-class partners. We've got experts from uh, mobile systems, from pedagogy, from digital media backgrounds. uh, And we try and build our learning design into the platform all the way through. So... At the moment we've got a range, uh, 26 uh, world-class universities, some uh, leading cultural institutions uh, and some uh, major organisations are all partners uh, in FutureLearn providing our courses and our materials uh, for the learners to pick up. In thinking these things through, we've come up with three key principles that we try and put into Uh, all of the courses and all the experiences that people have on our platform. Uh, And the basic idea is we want to inspire learning for life, so this isn't just about qualifications, this isn't just about schooling, this is about ongoing, continual uh, self-improvement, self-knowledge, all those sorts of things that that, that we want to encourage uh, people to have, through telling stories, through provoking conversation, and through celebrating progress. And there's an awful lot talked in, in, in the MOOC space about how terrible MOOCs are because 100,000 people will start a course and 10 weeks later only 1,000 people have got to the end of it. And that's a massive dropout. You've got 1% completion and how terrible is that? But we actually would rather see it the other way around. Firstly, you've got 1,000 people who've done all that uh, effort and, and learnt all that stuff. But you've also got 100,000 people who may well have got out. Most of them will have got out of that course what they wanted to. They may have realised that um, deep understanding of microbiology is not for them, which is fine. They may have decided that once they've understood a bit about DNA and RNA, that's as far as they need to go. They may not want to catch up with with the, the children right in the far southern bits of India. Uh, we We can let people follow through their interests and go as far as they want to, and we should celebrate that, and we should allow them to celebrate those successes they have on the way. Now, on the FutureLearn platform, it's only been around three, four months or so. Um, There's a a wide variety of courses. I won't bother reading them out to you. Um, But there's a lot of stuff there from Hamlet to dental photography, from particle physics to computing at school and so on. And if there aren't courses there at the moment, you can register and we'll tell you when courses that interest you uh, will appear because we're getting more courses produced by our partners every week appearing on the platform. So I'm just going to run through what FutureLearn looks like, because I know some of you may not have played with this sort of thing before. So when you uh, sign up to FutureLearn, you get a choice of courses, and you can can pick certain ones. And uh, we'll look at the forensic science course here, and I'll click on my page, and I go to an activity list. Um, And one of the things you'll notice is that at FutureLearn, we tend to like bright colours, and we tend to like making things quite clear and crisp and fun. And there's a strong emphasis in the organisation on a crisp, clean uh, entertaining user experience so that you can properly engage with this and it feels modern and it feels fresh and it does not want to distract you from your learning. Uh, so our courses are divided up into weeks and in weeks you have a number of steps and these steps are a number of different sorts. They can be articles that you read, videos that you watch, quizzes that you do uh, and so forth. So. If we were going to go to uh, a video, you'd get a page like this, you'd get some discussion, you'd get the video material there, uh, and you get a little... I've been told not to walk over here, but I'm going to go over to point this out to you. You get a little button there, like you would see on a social media site, and that shows that there is conversation happening. Um, And if you click that, you can start to see contextualised comments from other learners about what's been going on in the video. So people are starting to talk about what's happening there and they're starting to reply to each other. And so we have this social constructivist approach to learning where people start coming together and help each other. And this is this is the role of some of the teachers. Learners become uh, educators for other people. Educators come in here and can, can help guide and provoke discussions and so on. Now, we might get a really interesting comment from somebody, uh, and if we do that, we could like that sort of comment. It's so easy to like things, and we like doing it. Facebook is full of likes. But it gives a little bit of public affirmation that you think someone has done something good, and that you're giving them a bit of credence for that. And that's often why we do it. I know a lot of people have sat in here writing some really pithy comment on Facebook about something funny or interesting that's happened in their day and hoping that their friends really like it, because only when they like it has it been worthwhile. Right? Now, that might be a little bit extreme, but that is how people start to think about social media. And so providing these sorts of hooks into these systems... Um, we find very useful or at least we think it's going to be very useful we also allow you to follow you know here I've got John who I want to follow because he's doing interesting stuff and if I follow John I can look at his page and I can see the courses he's on I can see the comments that he's made the responses he's got and so on so I start feeling connected to this body of learners and that's one of the issues with MOOCs the massive can be very good but it can be very bad because you can feel isolated and on your own But if you connect people together in a a complex social web and allow them to start picking out the interesting characters, you start building a community of connected learners. We've also got a series of quizzes and tests and other th- sorts of things. Um, I'll just run through very briefly um, uh, with our sort of test. They're sort of page by page for each question. Uh, we've got a CSI one here. Um, the University of Strathclyde produced this course. Uh, so we can, we can pick an answer uh, that a crime scene is, the scene of an incident, irrespective of whether a criminal or illegal action has been established at the time, uh, and it gets marked, and I get three marks for a right answer. If I do something else... Um, The six W's are important in scene investigation because they're the basis of scientific investigation. That's not right. Not only do I get told it's not right, but I get some feedback as to where I should look to understand things in order to come back to this quiz and improve stuff going forwards. And I'm going to celebrate my success by scoring 11 out of 12 or uh, doing better than most of the other people on the course or whatever it might be. I can also look at my progress, because giving learners some control and some understanding of what they're doing is really important. I need to know where I am, I need to know where I am in relation to other people, in relation to the goals I've set for myself, and so forth. And so we have a sort of progress page that shows what I'm doing, what I'm scoring, what's happening with the other sorts of courses. I can also, if I don't want to actively sit there and learn, I can just see what's going on 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 the FutureLearn site relating to the sorts of things I do. So I can go to an activity page and I can see people who've responded to comments I've made, people who are talking about stuff I find really interesting, looking at what the people who I follow are doing. Very much a standard social media experience, but focused around learning content that I'm interested in. One of the great things about technology, and we all like technology and we all like relying on technology, is that technology rarely works perfectly for you. So on my machine, this was beautifully formatted. Up here, we're going to talk about massive opal social learn. Uh, But the point about future learn that I really want to make is that there's a lot of thought that's gone into the background pedagogy behind the sorts of things that we do. So the approaches we take to presenting information, the ways that we structure the, the stuff that's presented, the way we allow people to connect has been thought through from a very fundamental basis. And that's the great thing about building a platform from scratch, which is what we've done. Uh, we're able to work out what you really should have there, not what's already there and how we go forwards, what you really should have there and put it into place. and. We can then test to see whether the principles that we're applying work uh, and whether they don't work. So we're, we're, I'm a scientist as, as well as a, um, a critical friend for FutureLearn. Uh, so it's nice to look at some numbers and, and what we're doing to date. Um, we've, we've got learners from 190 countries, 97% of whom would recommend FutureLearn um, or have signed up for other courses. Um, from our first eight courses, we've just done the analysis on this, uh, at least 10,000 people join the first eight courses. Um, of those, and remember, the, the, you know, it, it's an organisation that has to launch something, so you have to tell the world about yourself, and then a little bit later the courses come along. So we tell the world, we get a lot of people doing that. We then have 60% of those people actually turn up and look at the course they've signed up for, which is pretty good. 86% of those Actively carry on through this course, and the really important statistic here is this bottom one: 34% of our learners, a third of people, are making comments and actively engaging in that. Right? The rest might be uh, having some vicarious learning by reading those comments. They might be ignoring them altogether, and that's fine too. You can have a very nice experience on the platform by ignoring everybody else, but. A third of people in the very early courses like doing this. Now, at this point, they've not had time to get connected to loads of other people as well. And what this proves, really, is that this social approach coupled with the pedagogical approach, coupled with this user experience, seems to be working and seems to be popular uh, with the people um, that that we're reaching So just to show you what's next, what's what's possible, what's coming up on the the platform, um, analytics has already been mentioned. The great thing about Massive is that you can run large numbers of experiments very reliably, very quickly. So we can test things out, what actually works for people. And when we do that, we can get benefits for the learners, for the educators, for our university partners, and for the company itself. So everybody wins in this scenario. (laughs) We're also bringing in things like small group discussions, because the difficulty with massive is if you've got 100,000 people all shouting at once, you don't tend to hear very much. So we're bringing things back small and finding neat ways of doing small group discussions, of doing peer assessment, of doing all sorts of other interesting uh, approaches to give people different ways of learning. The nice thing about the FutureLearn platform is it's designed mobile first, so it'll work on your mobile phone, it'll work on your tablet, it'll work on your desktop. You have pretty much the same experience there, but optimised for those different sorts of platforms. FutureLearn is about learning for life. That's me.
2: Again, we have um, a time for one question. Um, this is because they are all overrunning. This is nothing to do with the chairing. Um, if does anybody want to pick up on either of those two, anything there that didn't understand, wanted to expand on, to improve on, uh, lady at the back.
0: Hi, I'm Sheila Conan from the Open University. Can you,
2: can you, can you stand oh, so sorry. the cameras catch you? Thank
0: you. Um I'm I'm not involved with Future Learn, but I just wonder, could you explain what the... uh, the, In the last slide you had, was it arguments, slides, or...? Uh, The argue graph? graph, that was Uh, it.
5: Yeah, so an an graph is essentially... um, I'll explain to you what it is, and then you can work out what it is essentially for for yourself. So what you do is you ask people for their opinion on a topic, uh, and you try and plot that on a graph. Uh, And then you have a debate and a discussion and an argument... And then you ask them to replot their opinion and you can see whether, whether the group as a whole has moved, whether certain sectors that were sort of in the bottom left have moved up a bit or across a bit. And it allows people to understand both the impact of argument, where their views come from, how their views might change from other people. And it gives you a very visual and visceral representation of uh, the, the benefits of discussing stuff with other things, how different opinions are formed and so
2: forth. Thank you. Which actually means I think we might incorporate something like that in our October conference, Cambridge Assessment conference, because it sounds fascinating. Right, we're going to move on now to um, the online learning platform from Cambridge International Examinations, which supports the Cambridge Cambridge IGCSE Global Perspectives and brings schools together for shared learning. It'll be introduced today by Dr. Helen Eccles, Director of Development. Helen.
1: Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm the last speaker, as you know. I've been told to stay next to this. So please, you know, wave at me if I wander too far away. Um, and because I'm the last speaker, I want to pull together some of the things we heard about earlier. Uh, So Sugata this morning said that pedagogy must include the internet. Um, David showed us how his uh, learners really enjoyed feeling connected to other 21st century learners, was I think the phrase that you used. Um, And Nick said that what we need is a virtuous combination of teachers and technology, which I thought was rather a nice phrase. I shall remember that one. What I want to talk about um, is a subject a fairly new subject uh, called Global Perspectives that draws together all those things um, and is very similar um, to some of the the courses that we've been hearing about in this session. Um, But importantly, I think, is a mainstream and recognised subject internationally so Bennett said this is an IGCSE, that's short for the International uh, General Certificate of Education, IGCSE, for which Cambridge International exams are rightly very well known. So we run a number of different subjects across all the sciences, the humanities, the modern languages, and um, what we wanted to do a few years ago was to introduce some more 21st-century skill-like attributes into our learning programmes, uh, and we did it through this subject. Uh, at the moment, it runs from age 14 through to age 19. We have plans to take that further down, um, right into primary. Uh, it, as the name suggests, Global Perspectives, the learners are asked to look at an issue um, uh, which is global um, and to look at that from the different perspectives of people who live in different parts of the world um, and also people who might live very close to them in their family or in their local area um, or in their country. It's a new subject, and so the teachers, we found, needed... Um, to, to have a little bit more confidence in delivering the subject than they would do if it was their standard chemistry, maths or, or whatever it is. Um, interestingly, this is a subject that has... N- I, was go- I have to catch myself. I was about to say no content. It's not possible to have a learning programme with no content. But the content is individual to each learner the thing that is consistent that all the learners have and which we assess are the skills and these are that wonderful phrase 21st century skills so things like collaboration uh, things like a group work presentation um, problem solving these are the skills that are consistent across the group but the learners choose their own context So, all those different things, of course. Skills work very well with technology. We're wanting students to understand what happens in different parts of the world. And, of course, technology is fantastic for joining together people across the globe. Um, They... Uh, do some coursework type portfolio work. So the obvious thing to do was to, de- was to, de- develop, to develop a platform um, that would enable us to do all those things. And so the platform, which, as you can see, um, is a Moodle-Mahara, a joint Moodle-Mahara platform, um, has three sort of separate facilities on it. And I'm just going to talk through each one of those in turn very briefly. The first one is um, an end-to-end course. So it starts at the beginning of the course. You can work your way if you want to all the way through. There's an area there for forums, so learners can form their own groups. Learners and teachers together can form a group. Teachers can form their own groups. And then the third area is for e-portfolios, so that the kind of um, coursework activities that the students do, which actually look very different to traditional coursework, can be kept on that platform um, and provide us with some knowledge of their learner journey. So let's just have a look at those then, one at a time. So the learning course, and I should have said at the beginning and I forgot, but I do hope some of you managed to see this being demonstrated um, out there in the hall before uh, uh, this uh, event began, while we were having coffee. I'm sure if you're interested, you'll be able to see it later. So the... Um, e-learning course one thing that was very important for us was that it supported the teachers as well as the learners because as i said the teachers really do need some help they're not delivering content in the way that teachers traditionally do Uh, instead they're really behaving more like a facilitator and guiding the students through the content that they have chosen to follow So we wanted a course that the the teachers could use in a very hands-off way, but also in a way, if they wanted to, that was quite controlled. So teachers can um, uh, customise the course if that's what they want to do, or they can just let the learners go and stay with that. Now there are particular sort of 21st century skills that we're very keen on and one of them is learning what kind of learner you are so that you can best make use of your learning style and in order to do that students have to be encouraged to reflect on their learning journey on their progress. And so this course encourages that regular reflection and they, the students can keep a diary um, so that they um, can evidence uh, the path that they've taken. Obviously a course like this supports the flipped classroom. And also uh, we use this as the basis, or rather I should say the learners, the students use this as the basis for collaboration. So, introducing social media into a mainstream subject, uh, the learners, as you can see, can collaborate. They can do that either within the same class, with the group that they're working with. They can collaborate across classes or groups within the same school, or across schools, anywhere in the globe, Um, and. Those collaboration uh, groups can be uh, watched by teachers. Teachers can join in or they can choose not to. And we found that this actually is a very motivating uh, thing for the students to do because they are able to directly discuss with other students in different parts of the world the topic that they're studying in common. So when they do their work, this is the other thing that they really love doing and if you have a look at the the course later you'll see some really exciting examples of what learners have come up with. Um, They can create a portfolio and as you can see at the bottom the portfolio is made up of pages and each page will have on it. Um, several areas. It might be text. It might be a YouTube video. Um, it, it could be anything that they want it to be, um, and into that they can import their reflective journal which we've spoken about. We supply them with the files that they might need to use and also planning tools because one of the 21st century skills we like to um, encourage is planning their work and planning how they're going to go about the tasks they have. Um, And the students can pull into it anything, so Flickr, YouTube, Picasa, um, anything that they want to use they can drop into that e-portfolio. Last year we did a trial. It's now out of trial and open to all our schools that are um, doing IGCSE Global Perspectives. Uh, So these were the countries of the trial. Um, We just opened it up, as you do, and asked, invited our schools to join in with the trial. We were very happy that they spread themselves fairly equally um, because obviously we wouldn't want them all to be um, in North America for instance, or Europe. Uh, So that's where the Schools were. And what we found was quite um, uh, a common and well liked pathway for learning uh, was that uh, there would be a topic. So the syllabus um, gives suggestions for some topics, but learners can also choose their own. this one was global warming. And what tends to happen is this: It doesn't matter if you can't read it, but you can see that there is a conversation going on there um, between the students. so one of them's asked a question, and then the others come in. And that both stimulates their interest, we find, and also provides them with information. So good conversations. And that led, in this particular case, so this is fairly typical, of an online survey. So this group of students were then able to ask all the other students they were in contact with to fill in the questionnaire so they got some real live data that they could then analyse and use and put into their e-portfolio. And this particular one um, led to a rather lovely video um, on traffic congestion, uh, which always interests me when I reflect on this, because to you and I, it's perhaps a topic that we've thought about and is a little bit old hat. But the students, when they're that age, it's really rather new and um, exciting. And this was certainly a very vibrant uh, video. Okay, so that's it. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going back there and would be delighted to take questions. Oh, there's a little, I've got a a second. There's been a little bit of an Oscar theme, hasn't there, going on in this uh, event? So I'd like to take the opportunity of saying thank you very much to my colleague, Dr. Matt Richards, who's sitting there and he he was the person demonstrating the course. Um, It's him and his team that actually made our sort of educational vision using the technology into something which was much more powerful than we thought it would be. So there you are. Thank you, Matt.
2: And we have time again for just one question uh, at the back there, Uh, sorry, in the middle. Uh, Remember to stand up, let the camera take you.
3: I'm Roy I'm a teacher at the Thomas
5: Hardy School in Dorchester. Um, I've been following you or something on Twitter here, and there's a couple of comments about
3: oh, are we really able to deliver? And that was the words of the University of Commerce 21st century skills. And uh, So I'd like to ask the question: Do you see this as a first step towards uh, true 21st century skills, or is there a danger by
1: delivering it kind of nipping in the bud? <sighs> Ooh, that's, um, that's an easy one. That's interesting. <laughs> it was to you. Yes, that, that's a very interesting question. No, I don't think that we would be nipping those skills in the bud by um, making them part of a course. I do think what will be the death of them is if we try and assess them very rigorously. And we're having a very com- um, interesting conversation within Cambridge Assessment at the moment about whether you really can rank order... A skill such as collaboration, people collaborate in many different ways, and you know is it possible to say what way is better or best uh, and I think if we start cor- corralling 21st century skills and saying this type of activity is better than that type of activity mm-hmm. that will that will be the thing. Um, that creates problems. I think if we can allow people to follow their own sort of instincts um, and recognising what kind of learner they are and find some way of assessing that fairly, um, then I think uh, it, it will be such an essential part of our learning that we'll look back and wonder why it was never like
0: that. This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.